Welcome to Be Daring Live Podcast, where we teach life and leadership skills to teens and their parents. We're your hosts, Hudson and Rachel. This is the last week of our Young Entrepreneurship Series. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Nathan Nguyen. Nathan grew up in a very different environment from most of us. As a child, he lived in Vietnam. His family lived in a shack with a dirt floor and a palm frond roof. He became a millionaire as a college student in the United States, and the circumstances he overcame blow away all the excuses a young person can use as to why they can't achieve. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but first, welcome to the podcast, Nathan. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Hudson. It's uh, my honor, my pleasure. I love your story. You overcame so much. An immigrant family with no money. You failed kindergarten. You scored low on the SAT. You had no money for college, but you had drive and the will to learn and do whatever it took to succeed. So let's kind of start at the beginning and talk about your family. Just from the brief amount I read about your parents, man, what amazing people. Can you tell us a little bit about your parents and their story? Um, you know, I, I always believe that my biggest gift, my biggest blessing has been the adversities that were given to me and uh, that I had to face on, you know, see as a challenge. And, and that blessing was made possible because my parents were very honest and very uh, uh, transparent about the challenges that our family have to go through. And so, you know, my parents uh, basically share with me, you know, when we came to America, I was five years old. And, uh, you know, my parents said, all we have is just our faith. Um, and, um, and all I can teach you is just the morals and the ethics of how to be a good person. Other than that, um, I really can't help you much in America. But for me, that's, that's more than enough because they, as an example of uh, how they've lived, have just been extraordinary, um, like, I, like you've read in, 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 in the book. And so maybe, uh, is there a particular story that you like to share, me to share about my mom or my, my dad in particular? Oh, man. Just, well, your dad was a POW for nine years, right? Right. Yeah, my, my, my dad was a POW for nine years, and uh, uh, he fought with the United States and the South against the North. Um, and uh, when the fall of Saigon, uh, because of his rank, he was a major, uh, he was taken captive for nine and a half years, about 10 years. And during that time, he was fed 52 kernels of corn. Those little corners, um, 52 a day. And um, that's how he survived, uh, was just uh, day by day. And um, my mom at that time was taking care of my older siblings who were a newborn, two-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old. So talk about a force uh, uh, of change in life where she, obviously she's now a single mother uh, with a husband in, in prison, whether she doesn't know whether he's going to live or come home, uh, but just simply have the faith that he's going to be healthy in return. And so the love that my parents share for each other that you know, my mom kept faithful, and uh, she to survive had to really be entrepreneurial. At that time, they wouldn't allow uh, anybody to do commerce. Everything is like uh, government owned. So she would be a, like a street vendor, where she would be growing uh, vegetables and potatoes in the backyard, 
and then digging them up and then putting it in plastic bags where she, there's no Ziploc, right? And so she you would have to put it over a, a candle to, uh, to seal it up and then be a street vendor and sell it. And whatever money that she make, she would then take care of my older siblings. Um, and then at the same time, keep faithful, knowing that one day my husband would return and, 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 and have that faith and have that belief because people were given, were asking her, hey, do you want to remarry? And you know, I, I, my mom is the most beautiful person in the world. And um, uh, they said, hey, you know, you put, put your kids up for adoption, sell them. You know what my mom said to them? Uh, she said, Rachel Hudson, this is what my mom said. You know what? I'm, I gave birth to my kids. And if they die, I'll bury them with my own hands. I'm not giving them up. And that was the strength and courage of, of my mom in those 10 years uh, taking care of them. And my dad, you know, he was, you, I mean, you can imagine all the, the worst case scenarios of why a person would hate their life in prison. Many would try to escape. Many had, uh, you know, have, you know, when people mentioned those years, they would, they, would, they would just want to give up their life. But my dad believed that, you know what? When he was served, he was in, you know, during the, during the war, he saw that the war was, and his position of leadership was nothing more than just responsibilities. And so he had a, he had a paradigm shift in, in mentally. He says, now that I'm, uh, I'm in prison, uh, the way I look, the way he looked at it, explained to me was, he says, son, when I sleep, there's guards. <laughs> so, and before the, before I was in prison, I had so much responsibilities on my shoulders. Now, I'm just going to, I don't have to think about it because the responsibility is now rest upon another party. So anything goes wrong, it's their responsibility. They're, you know, they have to bury that. You know, they have to carry and, and bear that, not me. So from that standpoint, I felt lighter. From that standpoint, he felt lighter. And he said, you know what? Time is valuable, no matter where you're at, Nathan. So at that time, he looked around. He sees so many of his colleagues sick, dying of malnutrition, of hunger, of sickness. And there's no medicine. Forget it. You're in the middle of the jungle, right? And they're, they're just trying to make sure you're, 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 you give up mentally. But he says, nope, time is valuable no matter where you are. So he says, here's the problem that's what's going on is that, that people are dying of, of, of sickness. So he prayed. He prayed that if I, you know, God give me the gift of wisdom so that I can help my, my, my fellow colleagues and as well as myself from not being sick. And so from there, his, his, his prayers were answered because he, he found another prison mate who had a book of acupuncture, right? Basically, it's called medicine without medicine, right? A cure without medicine. So he would trade his kernels of corn for paper. Every month, each prison mate would be given one sheet of paper to write home. So he would trade us food for paper so that he can actually use that to study. Uh, and, and, and because the gentleman who had that book wouldn't give it to him, he would lend it to him so he would re re copy it and then, you know, learn. And then he would take a, 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 a guitar uh, string, cut it and sterilize it and he has a needle. And he would practice acupuncture on himself at that time. He was suffering from a, 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 a cardiac uh, issue where his heart was skipping every other beat. In other words, death was 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 on the agenda for him, and so for for so he would actually learn acupuncture, test it himself, and he cured himself. And then he would start doing this for all the prison mates, 
And he became like, you know, the local legend inside the prison uh, to the point where the guards and the officers end up having to ask him to, to, to be like the, the, the jungle doctor. <laughs> so um, at the end of the day, the courage, the mindset, the, the, the faith that my, my mom and my dad demonstrated through those times, growing up, I have no reason, no excuse, because um, uh, my, my dad showed me the, the lesson that my, my grandfather showed my dad. He says, complaining, excusing, is only reserved for the ill and the old and, and those that are about to die. You're young, you're healthy, you have no excuse. So I've lived that, that mantra uh, throughout my life and that adversities uh, is only a, 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 a challenge for me to really ask me, who am I? What do I believe in? And, uh, and that it's an opportunity for me to really grow and see and realize my strength and potential. That's, that's, that's a quick summary of the story. Yeah, that's amazing. You had some other mentors besides your parents that changed your life. Can you give us some advice on how to find good mentors? Yes. Um, you know, my, because my, my mom was very clear, she says, within the four, four walls of this home, you know, I, we can take care of you. But once you leave this home, it's going to be the mentors that's outside the community, beyond the, beyond the walls of the home that's going to dictate whether you succeed or, or, or not. And I took that to heart. And so my mom's big advice was, be the person that you want to attract. Be a kind person, an honest person, a, a person of value, morals and ethics and character. And that's all my mom and dad demonstrated and showed and, and became a role model for. And so she says, in summary, go out there and be a person that other people would like and respect. So my mom said like, my, my dad clarified it with the word respect. Because my dad said, you can go out there and people may like you but not respect you. Yeah. Right? So what you want is you want respect. And people may, be, may, 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 may like you and not respect you uh, because they're just taking advantage of you. So what the key thing is just earning people respect by your character, your strength of your character and how you live. And so when it comes to finding mentors, I try to be a person that connects with other people based on values. So one time somebody asked me, if you were to meet Bill Gates, what would you say? And I said, I don't know what to say. I would ask him a lot of questions. <laughs> I wouldn't be in the position to say anything. But I would be so curious to ask him a few questions because I know that I, can, I will connect with anybody in this world on a value level. Hey, Bill Gates, I'm sure he's a hardworking guy. You know, I'm a hardworking guy too. So, you know, yes, his success can be intimidating. But one thing that I can be at the equal level playing field with him that I would not feel intimidated to talk to him or ask him a question is we match on the level of what? Character. We're both hardworking people. We're entire integrity people. And therefore, I would have the courage to ask him some questions. That's a first of all. Second, um, going back to Hudson's question is, you know, what would be the biggest tip I would give? You know, so I will share with you the, 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 the tips that my parents gave me. If I were to give, I would certainly echo my parents, but I would add one thing about for me is that Make mistakes. When you find a mentor, you got to make mistakes. 
you, the way I explain it is when people ask me to mentor them, I say, you come and you, you ask me to mentor, but man, you are a shiny crystal. Your, your hands are not dirty. Your face is all beautiful. Your, I mean, your white shirt is still white. It's glistening. And then you're telling me uh, after a two or three sessions, your still hands are still clean. Your face is still all perfect and your white shirt is still glistening. You have done nothing. Go out there, take your idea, make a mess, so me as a mentor can help you clean up. That's the only way you can really maximize me, is by going out there, make mistakes, take action, do something. Because you listening to what I share with you, you will not truly understand the knowledge until you go and apply it. And when you apply it, you're bound to make mistakes. You're bound to hit challenges. You're bound to hit roadblocks. And only then I can come and say, Hudson, my boy, you see it. You experienced it. Now you've gotten the wisdom of what I'm really trying to teach you is that I just gave you what, you know, are the things that are best practices, but only until you apply it and see those challenges, those roadblocks and come back with questions and I see, boy, Hudson, I, I see you got a bloody nose. Here's a towel. Hey, Hudson, man, your shirt is just sweaty. It's stinky. Hey, here's a new shirt, right? That is called mentorship. That is how we can really work together. But I work with you, Hudson, and then you come back and you say, hey, you know what? I thought about what you said, and I thought I got some more questions for you. I got some more questions for you. I got some more Hey Hudson, at what time are you gonna stop asking me questions before you go out there and start doing something, right? Because these questions are so theoretical. But when you come back and ask me questions, I say, hey Nathan, I heard what you said last time and I did it and I got some challenges, man. I got some challenges. Dude, I said, what you told me, it hurt. That's good. It's like, it's, it's, it's like Hudson, you asked me, hey Nathan, teach me how to swim. I said, well, here's how you do a, a breaststroke. Here's how you do a butterfly. And you come back and say, hey, I have a question. How do you, dude, hey, Hudson, have you been in the pool yet? No, no, sir. But I, I have more questions about, you know, doing this. I'm like, Hudson, jump in the pool. Jump in the pool, okay, get wet. And then you tell me about the butterfly stroke, about blah, blah, blah. So entrepreneurship, life is like a, it's like a game. You gotta get in it. Don't stand on the stadium and pretend that you're a player. Get in the game. Get messy. Put on that jersey, right? Get get knocked down. Get back up. Learn the rules. But in life, I notice way too many people are spectators. Yes. And they don't play, right? They get played by the game because they never get inside the game to play themselves. Yes. So I want you to put on your jersey, get out there, you know, Get, you know, get beat up, right? And then you'll learn some lessons and then you get to learn how to play the game and then that's how you can win. So that way people will cheer you on versus in your lifetime, just cheering other people right. on. That's some great advice, Nathan. Um, you're, you specialize in money. Uh, you decided at a young, young age that you wanted to master money and you wrote a book called Money Smarts. Uh, which pretty much explains every financial concept there is. Um, <laughs> so your illustration in the book comparing what if we taught teens how to drive 
the way we teach them about money was fantastic. Could you share that little thought? Right. You know, at age 18, everybody is so excited to go out there and get a car, right? Everybody is so excited to get a car. But just imagine the process of getting a license, of getting a car, right? You had to go to get a permit, like a, a written test to make sure you understand the rules of driving. And then you got to go get it tested to make sure you get tested for the skills of driving. So that when we actually get in a car, you actually know how to read the rules, the you know, and obey the laws. And then how to operate the vehicle because you got tested for the skills so that way you don't hurt yourself and hurt anybody when you drive. But then, so you think, no, duh, Nathan, that's what you got to do. Take a written test, know the laws, get a drive to test your skills, or it's going to kill somebody. Duh, Nathan, why are you telling me that? Well, what about money? Money is a skill. Every 18-year-old is what? Signing what? Credit card applications, signing leases. Signing debts, college student loan debts. Everybody is, when they turn 18, what happens? They're putting in a vehicle and driving without a permit. Nobody tests them to really understand the knowledge of money. Nobody tests them the skills of money yet. They're in this vehicle of money and just hurting everybody and hurting themselves. That is crazy. And we, as a society, don't want to talk about money because it's, it's a taboo. It is not cool. Don't talk about money. Come on now. Right? And then that's why you're seeing all these financial accidents happening everywhere. Disasters. Things are burning up, blowing up. And then everybody is saying, well, whose fault is it? Well, certainly teachers can't take responsibility for that because that's not part of our curriculum. That, you, know, par you know, money is such a sensitive subject. Parents should be teaching that. Parents says, no, no, that should be part of the... The school's curriculum, pointing fingers, pointing fingers. But ultimately, who's responsible? The individual. Once you understand that money is a skill, just like swimming, just like anything else, just like driving a car, anything, you got to learn it for yourself. And you can't blame your parents. You can't blame your teacher. You can't blame society. Ultimately, I looked at my life and I said, I got to learn this skill. Because when I, when I saw my mentors or the people that, when I, when I saw my mentors, most of these mentors were people in the books. They have never, I never met them. But because they spent their lifetime and in putting it inside a book and I bought it for like a couple bucks, my gosh, it's cheap. So I, my first mentors were all books because they're talking to me, right? It's a one-way communication because I didn't know what to ask. And that's fine in the beginning. One-way communication from books as mentors is fine. They're telling me all this information, and I'm like, oh my gosh. All right, so that's, for me, that's the key. That's the key right now. I, I think the reason why you resonate so much with me is teaching teens and young adults about finances is one of our main objectives because of what we went through when we first got married. I feel like a lot of kids don't grasp the concepts because it's all theoretical. Parents think just... Just because they handle money well, their kids are going to learn those principles just by watching them, and that's not really how it works. Or they do the give percent, 10%, save 10%, and teach them how to spend the rest, but that's really not how life works either. So the way we decided to teach our kids money is like when they turn 10 or 11, we start turning over part of the budget to them that involves them. So like we start small when they're and then they maybe they'll get birthday gifts that the, we would normally spend on their friends. 
you know, they are in charge of all of that. And they've got to figure out how am I going to juggle this? How much am I going to spend on this gift? If I spend too much here, I won't have enough later for other stuff. Um, and so we gradually increase the amount that our kids get every year. And by the time they graduate, they're handling, you know, 20 categories, you know, clothes, haircuts, food, you know. So I, I love the way you talk and teach because I feel like, uh, like you say, you sweat during training so you don't bleed during battle. And you're so good at teaching that. I can tell just from this little brief conversation we're having right here. <laughs> you are an expert. <laughs> Your book is about money, but it's also about success principles and mindset. So do you believe you can be financially successful no matter what career you choose? Absolutely. What a great question. This is the holy grail of all questions when it comes to money, right? What is the stage of financial success? First stage, what I call independence from, from, from mommy and daddy, right? That's the first, first stage of quote unquote financial stage, right? It's like first, you understand enough about money, knowledge, and skill that you can be independent from your parents. And then once you have enough knowledge and skill about money, you have what you call career discretion. Where I don't care what you do, as long as you love it, drive for it, willing to, to, to work hard at it, and understand the principles of money, it will take care of for itself. Because a lot of people mistaken wealth for income. And income is drive by profession, what, what you do. So a lot of people think you got you to do this, you got to do that, or you, you got to come from background with having lots of money. No. You can, have, you can start from zero to a lot of money if you understand the principles of money. It's called creating value and creating wealth. Because money is nothing but an exchange of, of, of money for value. So if you can create value, you can create money. So everybody says, everybody's a walking money mint. You can, once you create value, you create money. So people say it takes money to make money. Yes, that's called investing. But when you don't have money, you create value and then you create money. And then you take that money, you invest it, and then you make more money from it. That's the cycle, right? So career discretion is, 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 is the holy grail of, of, of money. Because once you understand, let's call the books on money smarts, once you have the money smarts, you can essentially do anything and follow anything career path and be financially successful because you understand the principles of it. So uh, very quickly, right? Let me quickly define wealth and I'll talk to you about the four types of income. Wealth, when people look at the, like the chart, the inequalities of wealth, why, the, why does the top you know, 10% control uh, almost 80% of uh, America's wealth? And why does the top 10% of the world control like 90% of the world's wealth? What do you, how do you define wealth? Wealth is not income. Wealth is what you call assets, what you own, the things you own that have value. So wealth in America, in the world, why so many, only the top 10% are wealthy is because they own things that have value. Majority of the people don't own anything that increases in value. They buy things that lose value. They buy iPhones. They buy cars. They, 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 they buy, you know, uh, personal items 
And these things don't accumulate what you call or or appreciate, which is an increase in value over time. The ones that we call wealthy, they buy things that actually may have value increase over time. And that's called things that like your, you know, uh, real estate, uh, they buy uh, stocks, things that go up in value. That's why when, when you look at wealth distribution, people misunderstand what that really means is because if you are not owning things that may increase in value over time, you're not even in the game. You're not even in the factor. That's the reason why, you know, 10% of America controls like 80% of America's wealth is because the other 80% forget that they need to start buying things that increase in value over time. They don't do that. So, and then, and then they talk about, I got to get a job. I got to get a profession that has high income. Well, high income doesn't mean that you are wealthy. It just means that you have a high, uh, 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 you know, you have high money coming into you. But what you do with that money, I don't know. If you just spend it all, it's not going to make you wealthy. And that's what, what, that's the problem. Most people in profession that have high income, they also have high lifestyle, right? And these lifestyles are just very expensive. They can get into more debt too. Yeah, they get into more debt and the whole thing. So when, when we're talking about wealth and income, so income, there's four types. And this is how you generate the income. And what you and then what you what you want to do with, with your income is obviously minimize expenses. So you have the most amount of savings for you to go and 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 turn those money into more assets that can increase in value over time. That's essentially investing. And these assets can then produce more income for you. So here's the four types of, of income that over the years of me helping, coaching people, as well as just my personal experience in running companies, I've and and, and just looking at um, uh, accounting and all the whole thing, I've made it very simple for everybody to understand about income. There's only four types. One, or the first one, is time-based. Time-based means you trade your time for money. Very typical, hourly, salary, very typical. Everybody starts with this, most people, most most people start with this, not everybody, um, and um, very common, right? The second is performance-based. What does that mean? It's your skill. You make money based on how much skill uh, you use, you utilize. So whether that's commission-based, right? You sell things on commission. So instead of, you know, if you're paying hourly, in one hour you're paid X amount, but if you're on commission, you can make zero money in that hour or you can make millions in that hour depending upon how skillful you are at your whatever performance that is. And that could be a commission base or that could be performance in your business. You start a business and your business performs very well, right? That's performance base, entrepreneurial. The third is investment income. This is where your money is now your employee right? Your money is working hard for you. You are making your money, make more money for yourself. And how do you do that? You either buy, uh, let's first, the simplest thing is you buy stocks that pay you dividends or you buy uh, a property, you rent out and you make money uh, from the rental income. Two simple things like that. Um, The fourth is, this is the one that a lot of students are in and it answers why students say, Oh, I'm, I'm young right now. I don't have any income. Uh-uh. It's called benefit-based income. What that means is this. 
because you are currently a dependent in your family. Your parents are paying for all your expenses because therefore all those expenses that you should have, that's essentially your income because you have income instead of giving it to you and then you pay the expenses. They just basically pay the expenses for you. But that's the benefit of being inside your house, living with your parents, and that's part of your benefit-based income is from family, your parents. However, there's also families that are, when we came over to America, our family was on welfare, food stamp, right? So we benefited from government programs uh, that, that gave us uh, money for food. Um, that's called benefit. We have people that receive company pensions, government uh, pensions, um, that are also benefit-based, that's very, that they earned. So that's the fourth type of income. You add all four, then that's your total income. And again, any given month. Now, if you were to, if I were to quickly summarize, how do you win? How do you win the game of money? That's a great question, but you're gonna have to wait to hear the answer. We're gonna pause this interview right here and pick up here again next Monday. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast at BeDuringLife.com slash podcast so that you don't miss it. If you guys want to find Nathan, you can find him at his website at Nathan Nguyen. That's spelled N-A-T-H-A-N-N-G-U-Y-E-N.com. Um, you can find his book there or on Amazon, Money Smarts. Um, his game's also on there. And any other place we can find you, Nathan? Um, that's it. It makes it very simple. Okay. Thank you for so much. All right, guys, this is the last week of our Kickstart Your Business contest, the chance to win some money towards starting your own business. The deadline is midnight on Thursday, the 14th of May. If you go to BeDaringLife.com slash contest and sign up, we will email you a list of 75 possible business ideas, a guide on how to write a business plan, and the contest rules. To be entered in the contest, you just need to come up with a business idea and submit your business plan. We'll do a Zoom call on Tuesday night, May the 12th at 7 p.m. Central Time for anyone that needs help with their plan. If you like our content, please visit our website at BeDaringLife.com or our Facebook page at BeDaringLife. We would love it if you would subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the more visible our podcast is and the easier it is for people to find us in the great community that we are building together. So go out and be daring. Yeah.